This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Awake, my son. What's under your bed? What's in your closet? Who is in your window? Come to me and live forever. Join me in complete bliss. That's right, my son. Now sleep, my child. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 74, and it's going to be a grab bag of themes from World Championship Wrestling. And joining me today is a returning guest here on the show. He is one half of the Shake Them Ropes podcast. It's Chris Novembrino. Hello, Chris. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me back on. And uh, I was trying to get you to break away from the exclusively wrestling music by pitching you on doing an entire hour on Yes is Fragile, but you just wouldn't break kayfabe. You just have to stick with the gimmick. It hurts. Hey, listen, listen. I'm more than happy to do that in the future. All right. You know, we we could talk close to the edge as well. Uh, Relayer, union, perhaps. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a time for yes and a time for WCW. And now is the time for WCW. Yes. Oh, I'm agreeing you. with you. I was agreeing. No, I, I was now. agreeing with you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Daniel Bryan. So, you know, like uh, <laughs> I, I found the bridge here. All right. All right. But uh, yeah. So the last time you were on the show here, Chris, was on the Bret Hart episode way back when. And at the end of that one, I believe you brought up wanting to do an episode about various WCW themes. And it took a little while to get there, I know that, but lo and behold, here you are, finally, you're back on and doing an episode about various WCW themes. So, you got your wish, Chris. Yeah, but I'm upset because you took away one of my favorite themes from the list, which is the theme for disorderly conduct, or I guess Steve Austin in the Hollywood Blondes, but disorderly conduct, come on now. Me and Mark, <laughs> tough Tom, we're not even talking about that tonight, and it hurts. Well, me and Rob McCarran uh, covered that one on the Steve Austin episode a few years ago. So, uh, unfortunately, no Hollywood Blondes theme, no disorderly conduct. No Glacier? No Glacier. No Glacier. Um, no Public no Enemy? Mang, no D. Malenko. I mean, you know, listen, there are like 8,000 themes out there from WCW, so... Malenko is a serious slight, my friend, because Malenko's theme fit him like a glove. You gotta save stuff for volume two, that's all I'm saying. All right, all right, all right, fine. You gotta think ahead here, come on now, come on now. But uh, yeah, Chris, you have on past appearances uh, brought up your fandom of WCW many times. Remind us, if you will, how you discovered WCW. How I discovered WCW. So, back in the day... 
there was a friend of mine in second grade. I'd go over to his house and we'd play Super Nintendo. And every Saturday night, we would stop playing Super Nintendo. And this, this, of course, is dating me. And then it would be segue over to TBS on cable. Um, so again, dating me even further here. And we'd kick on the Superstation and we would watch WCW. And they had like Big Bubba Rogers and just a bunch of people that really kind of captured my imagination. And then I ended up being a WCW guy. Like I, I was in watching around like 1995, the NWO invasion angle. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Like the outsiders coming into WCW 96. That was really kind of the beginning of my wrestling journey. I've been watching just the right amount of time to really enjoy the Monday Night Wars because I saw like how the before time was, the time of peace, and then, you know, the NWO, the invading marauders show up and the thing that was a little bit frustrating for me is uh that the NWO never got driven off, but that's another story for another day. Yeah, me becoming a wrestling fan in 2003, um, obviously I grew up in a post-WCW world where WWE was the only real game in town. Um, I, I watched TNA for many years, sure, but that never felt like a real threat to WWE. And I watch AEW now, which I love a lot, but compared to you know WCW, especially during its heyday, AEW is not on that kind of level yet. Um, I mean, they may be on TNT, but they don't have Ted Turner's money, that's for sure. WCW did. And there was a time when WCW was not only a true competitor to WWE, but they were thoroughly kicking their ass on a week-to-week basis. So, yeah, I never got to experience that myself, but you did, Chris. Yeah, and I'll tell you, 2000 to 2004 was actually kind of rough for me and my fandom. That's kind of when I phased out because not having that competitor to Vince's vision of professional wrestling, whether it was WWF or WWE, that was problematic. And TNA, to your point, it didn't feel like a real competitor. It felt, it felt like a notch below. Um, so, you know, one of the things that's been refreshing about the era that we're currently in right now, even though I, I would say that, you know, AEW doesn't feel like a straight up competitor to WWE at this point, is it does get a little bit of that energy there. And it, and it feels like they're they're punching at the weight that uh, TNA was punching at when they first brought over Angle and Samoa Joe. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not the biggest thing in the world. That's for sure. It's pretty much in that solid number two slot. But still, I'm enjoying it a lot. And I'm digging the energy and digging the vibe, and I watch Dynamite every week, and I I am curious to see how it's going to grow and evolve in the coming months and years, just like WCW grew and evolved over the years. You know, going from early 90s WCW to late 90s WCW, there were a lot of major changes along the way. Um, no, you and- see it in the smattering of songs that you picked out here tonight. It's great. Like, we have everything from American Males, which very much is the kitsch flavor of a lot of WCW themes, especially, like, original in-house ones. You see some of the production themes, some of which are very, very good, like uh, the Goldberg theme that we're going to talk about here. Um, and then you see the Outsiders slide in there, so, like, we're getting a little bit of that NWO flavor. And then you finish it off with Seven here, uh, which is very much when you could say WCW was jumping the shark. So I I think that this grab bag does a really nice job encapsulating WCW from, I don't know, let's like 1993, 1994 to about the year 2000. It does, yeah. Yeah, I I tried to pick around and cast a wide net in terms of the specific years that these songs were used. Um, Now, looking at the music of WCW overall, 
I'd say that I do enjoy WWE's music more so than WCW's. Not to say that there aren't any great WCW themes. There certainly are, including on this episode. But I think mainly it's the fact that because I didn't watch WCW in real time, and because I've seen, you know, 9,000 times more WWE than WCW, I just don't have that same connection with WCW's music that I do with WWE's. But then again, that's me. No, no, no. It makes total sense. So I think one of the big differences between the brands, um, and this is something actually we've been talking a little bit about on Shake Them Rope, so it'd be fun to expand on this a little bit longer here. Um, Production and, and the music side of how you pair music with a wrestler, I think it's super important to getting that specific character over. And Jim Johnston, in his heyday, um, which was a fairly lengthy heyday, was really good at essentializing characters with a melodic hook that you could whistle. You didn't even necessarily have to be able to sing it. You could just like kind of like hum and whistle those riffs, those guitar riffs, those little keyboard licks. They're they're catchy. They usually only have maybe five, maybe six notes in the actual kind of like guts of the melody. The difference with WCW is they're using a lot of production music and that sort of thing. And, and I have really, in recent years, gotten very fond of like production music collections and stuff. If you can find them, they're they're real treats to listen to. Uh, KPM One Thousand series is totally awesome. I recommend that. And see the uh, Cosinas. I was like, oh yeah, I remember when I got a hold of this library. It's really cool. Um, it's hard to find production music that fits spot on with wrestlers um but i think it's honestly better to do the production music route than the third route that you see in tna and you see in other promotions which is the knockoff of a classic song i think the knockoff always sounds cheap you're better off going with production music but really the best options having that in-house composer uh jim johnston or a dale oliver Well, you mentioned knockoff themes. I mean, Jimmy Hart played a pretty big role in doing the in-house themes for WCW for many years. Uh, You know, him and his partner, Howard Helm. And they love knockoff themes. I mean, they can't get enough of them. And I I do love my fair share of ripoff themes too, don't get me wrong, Um, especially being a TNA fan for many years. But with Jimmy and Howard, I mean, the amount of truly original songs in their canon uh, was few and far between. You know, WCW, they didn't put out that many albums in their time, only a couple, but a few years ago, WWE did put out this big collection of theme songs on like iTunes and Spotify. It's called WWE, The Music of WCW, and the whole thing is Jimmy Hart and Howard Helm themes. You go down the list, and it's like, that's a ripoff, 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 that's a ripoff. I mean, the amount of just blatant ripoff themes in that whole company was was pretty damn high. Oh, if you're watching on WCW Saturday Night like I was, there was a lot of production themes. You know, Bobby Eaton did not come out to a Jimmy Hart composed theme song, uh, nor did Yuji Nagata or like La Parka, you know, guys like that. That's what I'm thinking of when I'm talking about the the production themes. But Jimmy Hart's a really weird composer, right? Like you get songs like Sexy Boy for Shawn Michaels, which have like really kind of clear and distinct hooks and have their own sort of flavor to them. Um, and then you have... Other songs of his that are just blatant ripoffs. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't he help write Rock House, which is the NWO theme? Uh, no, he did the Wolfpack theme. The Wolfpack theme. Okay. Rock House was a production library song that had the uh, different Hendrix riffs all over it. So. Okay. All right. Interesting. So where do we begin? 
Well, uh, we'll start off with a big one, I guess. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest homegrown stars that WCW ever had. Uh, certainly the biggest one of the late 90s, which there weren't that many in that era, to be honest. Uh, this is a theme for Goldberg. His theme is from the Casinas Music Library. It's by Christian Manuel André Poulet and Jean-Yves Edmond Rigo. I hope I said that right. Uh, this is called Invasion. So there are a lot of wrestling themes you can classify as fun, wacky, colorful. This is not one of them. This song is all business, specifically military business. There is a heavy military overtone to this song with the marching percussion and the imposing main melody. It's called Invasion. So it's all very militaristic, very serious, no nonsense. And if you're finding a theme for Goldberg, that's what you want. You know, here's this guy who isn't an over-the-top wacky character. He's just a badass, imposing ass-kicker who comes out, steamrolls his opponents, and leaves. That's what he does. That's all he does. <laughs> Arrive, kick-ass, leave. It's that simple. And there's no waving to the fans, no smiling, no, oh, he just likes to have fun. No, there's no fun with Goldberg. There's only black tights and chest hair and grunts and intimidation and pain. Lots and lots of pain, Chris. I don't appreciate that you snubbed Pat Tanaka so deeply. <laughs> uh, this is Pat Tanaka's theme before it was ever Bill Goldberg's theme. Thank you very much, Andrew Rich. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so I love this theme. I, I think this is one of the best themes that WCW had. I, I mean, the drum production is really great, and I think... Uh, in this era, with the music that you're working with, usually kind of the best sounding stuff, uh, there's this game called Mech Warrior 2. Best sounding stuff had drums kind of produced sort of like Mech Warrior 2, or that's what, kind of what these drums remind me of. Very big, very expansive, not sounding like the digital drums of the 1980s. So in the 90s, it really had like a modern way of capturing your ear. And then you're locking into that military theme. You're hearing a lot of that because there's a pedal note that's underneath everything. So it's just a long sustaining single note, a bass note, and that allows that melody to kind of like flutter up and down and then when that bass note finally rises up during the second part of the melody as we kind of return back around it feels heavy because it descends back down to just that that low bomb it's it's a great song um it, it's honestly kind of tough to 
touch this one up and make it better. I, I, I think that this one has really stood the test of time in terms of wrestling themes, but just everyone knows this theme, right? Like this, people at video or at basketball games know this theme. People at football games know this theme. You can play this in an arena. People know this theme and it gets people pumped. Yeah, especially if you put it on a big star like Goldberg that people will remember. You know, it's going to stay in their minds, absolutely. Um, you know, as well, I get serious Terminator vibes with this song, which makes sense because they built up Goldberg for over a year as this unstoppable killing machine. And no matter who you put in front of him, he just mow them right down. You know, Raven, La Parka, Mongo, Sting, uh, the giant, uh, fucking Hulk Hogan, even. It didn't matter who you were, he beat you, which I think gives the song much more of an impact because... Not only is this guy just menacing as fuck and this destructive brute force, no one's been able to stop him. So the music hits and it tells the crowd, someone's going to die. So they cheer and it tells the opponent, buddy, you ain't got a snowball's chance in hell. So it simultaneously excites and frightens. One of the long WCW debates that I've had with people is whether or not Bill Goldberg was overbooked. And I am firmly in the camp that there was no viable off-ramp for the way that they were booking Bill Goldberg. All you could do was have him constantly plow through guys, as you're describing. That the second you get away from the vibe of, here comes the very long military-style entrance, and he just mauls somebody, and then he wins the match and he leaves... Once you get away from that and start having them have competitive matches, you sort of shatter the aura. It's weird because, like, the, the vibe that he kind of gives off, uh, the, the Hawkins linked me to this uh, clip of Jimmy Valiant coming out. And, like, everyone's clapping, everyone's excited. And his whole entrance was really what the match was about. It wasn't actually about the match. And if you'd ever actually focused on, like, doing a full Jimmy Valiant match, it wouldn't have worked out. And that's kind of what happened with Bill Goldberg, right? Every time that they had Bill kind of swimming into long-form matches, they were ho-hum. Um, I, I, I think the best one off the top of my head that really comes to mind that isn't like, you know, Regal versus Goldberg, which is just kind of like fun and classic. He had some interesting ones against Jerry Flynn because like Jerry Flynn would actually trade some strikes with him. Um, and then like in the main event picture, uh, he had a really good match with Diamond Dallas Page. Yeah, at uh, Halloween Havoc. Yes. that See, like that was a really good match, but it was hard to get Goldberg to that point. And, and I at that, he had been notched down. By 1998, 1999, he wasn't the super Terminator guy that you were describing that he was in 1997. Yeah, well, uh, Scott Hall and a stun gun will do that to you, I guess. <laughs> you know, and having the NWO just uh, just They dominate. never lost. Yes, yeah. I mean, they, they dominated everything for just so long and were part of the programming for so long. I mean, even when Goldberg beat Hogan for the world title, which that was a huge moment, you know, and people were going nuts for it and it popped a huge rating on TV. The actual reign itself was not this legendary thing because it's not like he was main eventing every pay-per-view with a big world title match. He would be in the semi-main. He would be in a battle royal. Sometimes he wouldn't even be on the show. Meanwhile, you've got main events with Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman, Carl Malone, Jay Leno... And the real ball shot is when Goldberg finally gets a pay-per-view main event. It's against DDP at Halloween Havoc. And the feed cuts out. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. They had the show on Nitro the next night. The broadcast time was set for three hours. The show ran to three and a half hours. So everybody got to see the god-awful Hogan versus Warrior match in the semi-main, but the show cut off for Goldberg DDP. As a kid, I was really excited when I got to watch that DDP and Goldberg match on television. That was sweet. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, it's really interesting when you think about Goldberg versus the NWOs. Theoretically, in classic wrestling booking sense, you have the individual Superman that should be very easy to rally behind as a badass baby face. And then you have the seemingly endless goon squad that is the NWO, that if only those guys could get over their own egos, and also Bill Goldberg get over a little bit of his. I mean, he did put his arm through glass thinking he could just break glass because he's a normal Superman. Um, you know, th- that's pretty that's pretty in your own head. Let's just put it that way. Uh, if they had gotten past their own individual personal foibles, you have on one side... A massive faction that's seemingly dominant. On the other side, a guy who is, frankly, more of a worker than Stone Cold Steve Austin was at that stage of his career. Uh, you know, He could have been plowing through all of these guys. That could have been the story in 1997, 1998, 1999. He's slowly sending people from the NWO packing. Um, as some of these contracts start expiring and maybe you don't need people like Brian Adams so much anymore. But they needed to start transferring the heat off of the NWO, and Bill Goldberg could have been that transfer point. Could have. Yeah, he could have, but he... Uh, Was he... not. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But um, getting back to the song here, I did want to touch on the entrance, which I love. I love the full Goldberg entrance where the guy knocks on the locker room door, Goldberg comes out, he makes his way backstage and he's surrounded by the cops and the security guards. He comes out on, on the stage and the pyro just sprays all over him and he does the big uppercut and the leg kick and more pyro shoots off. The crowd's chanting, Goldberg, Goldberg, the music's playing. It's such a, a cool entrance and it really builds up Goldberg. As that the- second time around, harmony parts come in bolstering the melody. So that first part, what you're describing when he's coming out the doors, we've just got the solo melody. The melody is by itself. Once we get through that rebuild up of the drums, bump, 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 and then we get into the second verse, now support harmonies come in and bolster that melody. And Goldberg's now standing there on the stage and he's doing the arm pumps and the sparks are flying and everything. And yeah, no, dude, it feels so much bigger. Whoever realized that if we lapse this a little bit, that second verse feels even bigger than the first, they really hit money with that. Yeah, it really builds him up as this final boss. You know, he's not just some guy on the roster. He's an attraction. He's a proper main event superstar. And having all those guards with him, and the pyro just reinforces that. Now, we should also mention that Invasion was used as the basis for Goldberg's WWE theme, Who's Next?,
They sound very similar. Uh, the WWE version, it does tweak the melody a little bit, and it adds more power to it with those, uh, those classic Jim Johnston metal guitars. And I don't know, maybe I'm in the minority when I say this, but I actually prefer the WWE theme to the WCW one. There's something about that melody, that the rising melody in the WWE theme, that comes off as a bit more heroic and epic in tone than the WCW one. But that's just me, Chris. Well, no, okay, so I think that's fair, but, you know, one, Jim Johnson's getting to build on top of a classic melody, so, you true. know what I mean? Like, he get, he gets to stand on the shoulder of a serious giant. Give <laughs> me, like, true. a whole lot that's of love true. to start off my song, and, uh, you know, you'll think the bridge is pretty killer, too, whatever I come up with. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, I, I do like the modulation thing that happens after the melody that Johnson ports over from the original. I think it's cool. Um, I, I do think it does something interesting. That said, I, I, I mean, just the drums breakdown on the original is sufficient, um, you know, and he gets to the ring by the end of the second verse, so you, you, don't need to, you don't need to tweak it up too much, but I also get wanting to touch up stuff from time for time. Um, drum sounds tend to age decade by decade, and the thing that sort of most distinctly anchors us from different eras of music is it's you know the guitars and the type of guitar effects the type of distortion circuits that are used but more importantly the way the drums are produced um and, and you know Johnston in the 2000s was very mindful about updating and modernizing WWE's production themes and and his update of Goldberg's theme is a good one right right uh one more thing about Goldberg and we'll move on here uh, his other WCW theme was Crush 'em by Megadeth Nobody can. which I'm pretty sure was Goldberg's idea because he's a fan of the band and the song. And I suppose it, it was a way to modernize Goldberg and bring his theme music into the late 90s because Invasion is, it's a very, not antiquated, but it's a very old school classic sound. Crush'em is certainly a lot more modern and fresh because it's metal. Um, that said, I do prefer Invasion to crush him as Goldberg's theme because I just associated with him more than I do crush him, but I don't necessarily hate crush him as Goldberg's theme either. But uh, what about you, Chris? Okay, so I think this is a really good example of the dangers of modern sometimes. You want classic. Classic doesn't necessarily mean old sounding, but classic means can stand the test of time. And the problem with like going super modern with music and production themes is super modern, tends to sound super old really fast. All of those really stale sounding production themes from the mid 90s in WCW, they were just holdovers from like 1989. Music tends to move a lot faster, and so you wanna find themes that fit tightly with a wrestler that, that can 
a melody, a melody that fits tightly with the wrestler. And that's actually what Jim Johnson kind of latches on with, to with Invasion. Invasion has a distinct melodic hook. I couldn't even tell you how Crush Em goes. Crush, crush, crush em, crush em. That's the gist of it, I guess. <laughs> oh man, that's, that's evocative, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on now to theme number two. And uh, this is for a tag team, Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray. A record 10-time WCW World Tag Team Champions. Booker T, of course, would go on to become a big single star in his own right as a five-time, 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 five-time WCW champion. Also found success in WWE as well. And Stevie Ray was um, also a wrestler. Uh, (laughs) Their theme is by another duo. Uh, This is also hard to pronounce. Didier Leglise and René de Whale, I think, uh, from the Cosinus Music Library. This is Rap Sheet. off a nice little double reference there uh, the song is called rap sheet and harlem heat were originally brought in with a prisoner's gimmick and booker t spent some time in jail himself in real life anyway uh, this is a song that i've always enjoyed listening to i think it sounds really cool it's got a really catchy melody great beat to it it's got all these interesting samples in there too from different artists and different genres A lot of production library themes tend to get forgotten about and replaced pretty easily, but this song has really stood the test of time over the years, throughout the Harlem Heat run. Oh, you still hear this one on TV. Well, it's been Booker T's singles theme for forever. Well, no, I'm saying you still hear this occasionally pop up on, like, television shows and stuff. Like, this is a... Yeah, yeah, this is another one that has... I've heard this in, like, basketball arenas. Like, this is a song that's actually got some staying power. Um, People know that. It's another very strong melodic hook that's, like, sort of immediately evocative. Also, that intro, that, like, you know, that build-up thing. Yeah, now this is another one that's had some staying power. And and you mentioned Goldberg is like one of WCW's only homegrown stars, but I, I think that does a massive disservice to Booker T, who very much, I mean, he was built up in WCW. People loved Booker. I mean, you're talking 1998, 1999. Booker was a star. I, I It took coming to WWF to bring him down a peg because he was so over with WCW's audience. People loved Booker. 
And, and you know, his, his matches, his best of seven classic with uh, He Who Shall Not Be Named uh, was really, really awesome. I, I mean, the, the guy really showed himself to be a great and deeply entertaining wrestler. And, yeah, there's just there's something kind of cool about this thing because it does the 90s club music, hip-hop track thing where each one of the drops is in a completely different key. Uh, and the thing that's sort of anchoring the whole song together is that drum beat with that like super low frequency bass note. Um, and the drops just kind of come in and take you in completely different directions each time they come in. Well, if I could defend myself here, I didn't say that Goldberg was the only mainstream star. I said he was the biggest one of the era. So no, I was I'll... trying to take you to task here. I, 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 was, I was trying to bury you. <laughs> hey, I'll agree that Booker T was a big-time star for WCW. No denying that at all. And I like him a lot, too. He's, he's a very entertaining wrestler and, and character. And with this theme, I do appreciate that Harlem Heat, this you know hard-edged black tag team, didn't get the typical street thug gangsta hip-hop wrestling theme. Like, this is a hip-hop-sounding theme of sorts, but it's a lot more experimental than it is hard-edged or gangsta. It's a pretty unique choice to go with, which, you know, Harlem Heat were themselves a pretty unique tag team, considering they were a dominant black tag team in a company where, you know, outside of Doom, there weren't any others. I mean, even in WWE, they didn't have a dominant black tag team like this for, for God knows how long. You know, you had men on a mission, sure, but they were tag teams for like, what, two days, I think? <laughs> yeah, I, I always think back to Mabel versus Diesel um, in, in that title match where Mabel screams out, I'm going to be the first black champion and then does not become the first <laughs> black champion. <laughs> um, but, you know, okay, Harlem Heat... I, I mean, yes, WCW did a much better job taking care of this team than a lot of Vince's African-American tag teams, for sure. But they're from Houston. They were named Harlem Heat specifically to lean into a stereotype. Well, I'm not Um, saying it was perfect by any stretch. No, no, no. (laughs) There were still plenty of issues. and, And let us not forget about Sensational Sherry who was awesome with them, but was also meant to lean into a certain stereotype. And, and they knew what they were doing with their audience. Yeah, and, and having Colonel Rob Parker, the southern guy who dresses like a plantation owner, be their original manager, and having them make their debuts wearing chains, eh, not the best look in the world, I don't think. But putting that aside and getting back to the song here, uh, I brought up the samples. This is a rather interesting collection of of sounds here. I actually didn't find out where they came from until a few years ago. There's the, yes, 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 no, no, no. That's from a song called Sex Object by Kraftwerk. Yes, 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 no, 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 yes, 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 no, 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 no. Huh. And uh, the one that goes, bum, 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 boo-tick-a-boo-boo. That's also from a Kraftwerk song called Music Nonstop. There's the weird noise that goes, woo, woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's from the acapella version of a song called Work This Pussy by Sweet Pussy Pauline. Girls, you know what I mean? Ain't you tired of these little dick-ass motherfuckers coming up to you trying to waste your time? 
knowing that you're looking good, nice little ass back there. But you see, let me tell you something, girls. A lot of these motherfuckers see us walking by. They want to put their face in our asses and go... Which is an incredibly filthy song. <laughs> and the drums are from Back to Life by Soul to Soul. Back to life, back to reality. Back to life, back to to live back, back to, to reality, reality. Yeah. so craftwork sweet pussy pauline and soul to soul that is an eclectic mix right there chris and so then like the synth guitar thing that's just something that they kind of punched in afterwards is that that I what think we're so, thinking yeah okay all right yeah so that's cool no i mean i like this is a very 1991 to 1994 version of like electronic slash dance slash like club music. Um, you know, not quite trip hop like we're before trip hop. Uh, I know I, I like this. Also, this is a very sort of European style of writing electronic music. Yeah, I just think it's pretty fascinating that a, a pretty prominent wrestling theme so heavily features craftwork. Um, you know, Kraftwerk is a really big influence on people in like electronic music. It, it's like the band Suicide. And hip hop as well. Yeah, and, and, and hip hop as well. I mean, they were so heavily into the sequencers and the synthesizers. If you were someone who was interested in the technological side of music making, you couldn't not check out a Kraftwerk album and see what they were doing with sequencers and effects and you know, delay pedals and stuff like that. Right, right. But uh, yeah, I mentioned that this was also Booker T's singles theme um, after Harlem Heat broke up, and he had it for pretty much the rest of his career, except for a few runs like uh, G.I. Bro and King Booker. And what's cool about that is he got a few fun stingers added to the beginning to really you know, make it his own. The first one being, Don't hate the player, hate the game. Which didn't really catch on. And when he went to WWE, it was, Can you dig it, dig it sucker? sucker? Which would turn out to be a lot more popular. Yeah, I, I think his catchphrase at the front of this really great theme with a very distinct instrumental melody. I, I mean, you knew who was coming out from the curtain the second you heard the first five seconds of the theme. You know, you hear him say his catchphrase, you definitely knew. But even before they added the stingers on the front, you knew who was coming through that curtain. I think that's the real testament. It's like Goldberg's theme. If you can hear the song and know within five seconds who it is, you're in good shape. Um, I was actually, I was watching NXT the other week and um, I'm trying to remember, oh, Shane Thorne was coming to the ring and I closed my eyes before I saw who was coming out. And I tried to play the game of who's coming through the curtain right now. And I was having the darndest time. Um, so, you know, like that to me is sort of the marker of whether or not we've got a good theme song. Can I hear those notes and know who it is coming? You can say that about most WWE themes that debuted this year, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, up next is our first Jimmy Hart and Howard Helm theme. And it's a theme for a lady, Medusa. The former Alundra Blaze in WWE, who uh, infamously debuted on Nitro in 95 with the WWE women's title in her hands, 
which she promptly dumped in a garbage can live on air, which didn't sit too well with WWE, to say the least. Uh, Her theme is from the album WWE, The Music of WCW. It's called Are You Ready, Boys? Are you ready? Are you ready, boys? Yeah, I'm ready. For some rough. I like a rough. That's right. You know I've been a bad, bad girl. Yeah, I'm a bad boy. Oh. And you've been a bad, bad boy. That's right. Bad boy. <laughs> I don't know about you, Chris, but nothing gets me in the mood for wrestling quite like a flirtatious woman going, Are you ready, boys, for some rough, tough, sexy stuff? You know, I've been a bad, bad girl, and you've been a bad, bad boy. It just gets me so pumped up for wrestling, you know? But, (laughs) yeah, late 99-2000, not exactly the most progressive time to be a women's wrestler in America, I don't think. Oh, what, Uh, you weren't into puppies? (laughs) Even for someone like Medusa, who was a legit, trained, and capable wrestler for many, many years, not just a model, the climate for women's wrestling in America at that point was all about emphasizing sexiness over athleticism. So, her getting a sexy theme song is not a big shocker at all, Chris. No, but Medusa's one of the biggest misusages that WCW had. They would have Medusa and Bull Nakano matches and bury them in the middle of these pay-per-view cards or sometimes even put them on, like, WCW Saturday nights. They just did not appreciate the work that Alundra Blaze, Medusa, was doing and could bring to the company and how she just was a generational talent uh, criminally, criminally underused. Um, and, you know, at the point where she's serving as a valet to Macho Man Randy Savage uh, at the tail end of this, uh, right? She ends up as a valet for Macho, right? Team Madness. That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. She should have been WCW's golden girl and one of the five faces of WCW. It should have been like Goldberg, Booker T, Medusa, those are the people that that company really should have been built around. Um, And yeah, no, hearing this, a little bit soul-crushing. It's also, like, not a very good song, either. Like, there's just nothing to it. Um, And and yeah, it's just depressing to think about how badly used Medusa was. Yeah, this song, uh, it's a ripoff of the song Voodoo You by Lords of Acid. Yeah. 
which is this industrial electronica big beat uh, sound. And what I think is interesting is that it's trying to be a sexy song and an edgy song at the same time. You know, it has the wild guitar, the fast tempo, the frenetic energy. There's a rap verse in the middle. It's not going for completely sultry, like a Mandy Rose theme. You know, it's a lot more vivacious and edgy. So they're trying to, I guess, have it both ways with this song where Medusa is both sexy and a badass, which considering, you know, they did have a wrestle men at times and win the Cruiserweight title too, they did try to play up that on the shows as well, I guess. Yeah, Lords of Acid is it, that type of band. That that was sort of their sound. You have the electronic thing going on there, um, and you know, that kind of sexiness, that electronic and hip-hop sustaining beats, that more modulated beat can kind of bring, and then the big, wild, and flaring guitars. Yeah, I mean, WCW also did do intergender matches, but WCW also sort of serves as a really good example of how not all intergender matches are necessarily progressive. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly true, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I did want to bring up the rap verse in the song. Made in the USA, wanna play but you can't. Every woman jealous and she wanna buy every man. If you can't handle this, Medusa lay you down to rest. Slam you, drop you, put you down. Now we get really serious with this rough, tough, sexy stuff. Take it from the bad girl come inside my bad world. So again, the sexiness is there. My Every dude, when wo- is this EP coming out? When are you <laughs> dropping the EP, Andrew? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You've been just sitting on this? I, I do my best. I do my best. But yeah, every woman is jealous of her, etc., etc. But it also talks about how she's a bad girl. She'll slam you. She'll drop you. So again, the presentation of Medusa in the song here is as the sexy badass. But like you said, Chris... It didn't play out as ideally in the real world. No, it's just, it's just disappointing because she was such a great wrestler. You, I mean, go back and watch her matches with Bull Nakano, as I mentioned before. And she did, you know, other enhancement matches. But those are the best things that WCW had for her to do. Um, they just, she would do these great matches and they would mean nothing. And, and that's just unfortunate. Just like the next person on the list here. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, let's move on now to theme number four. But uh, in a perfect world, Chris, this would be theme number 22. 22? 22! Oh, man! Oh, man! Oh, man! Oh, man! Where are you? Why me? Why me? Why me? I will never get sick of watching that clip ever. It's the best. Uh, This is the master and ruler of the world, Sid Vicious, who is twice the man that you are and has half the brain that you do. (laughs) His theme is by Jimmy Hart and Howard Helm. This is the Sid Vicious theme.
So we can obviously sit here and, and poke fun at Sid and his dumb quotes and his general oafishness and all that stuff, but let's be real here, all right? Dude, be... Sid had an aura, bro. Yes. I, like, I, I get it. No, it, it, especially now looking back, it's very easy to go and see all of the stupid stuff that Sid said, and it's, like, delightful, and towards the end of WCW, I mean, he breaks his leg, and it's, like, brutal, uh, but... If we are winding the clock back to anywhere between 1990 and 1995, when Sid came out and was like just looking at the audience all crazy eyes and going, who's the man? Who's the man? And like making people do fist bumps. He's like punching people's fists with his fist. <laughs> like smashing. Do you see like people like holding their hands after he does the fist bump? Dude, when I was a kid, especially when he had, he was in WWF and he was Psycho Sid and he came out and he had the big sparklers that are just like in that slasher, you know, psycho killer spelling out Sid. And they'd come off and he had his big, really imposing psycho theme. I mean, dude, that guy was a star. He, the, the veneer didn't fall off until he got into the ring. But, you know, then go back to a lot of these classic characters. It was about the entrance. Hulk Hogan was not about the matches, y'all. It was about the theme song. Absolutely. I mean, Sid, for all his faults, you can't deny that the man has presence and aura, charisma, the look. You know, Sid rules. And this song rules, too. It's got that awesome backbeat, the boom, 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 boom. The menacing guitars as well. Similar to Goldberg's theme, no frills, no colorful antics. It's a very straightforward, simple song. And for Galaxy Vicious, that's right up his alley, Chris. No, you lock into, it is similar to Goldberg's theme. Like Goldberg's theme, although this time it's now being done on the bass versus a low synthesizer, we have that sustaining pedal note again. So in this case, it's a low E. It's going boom, 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 boom. And then the guitar and stuff goes wild over it. But when you've got that like straight 4-4 drum beat, crash cymbal on the one of every measure, it just it creates a real sense of momentum, and it's at that right cadence for Sid to come out looking confident, a little bit of a snarl on his face, and you know he's gonna get down there and he's gonna do the power bomb and he's gonna be the master and the ruler of the world. I mean, Sid in a lot of ways and Goldberg they were booked very similarly at points. Yeah, I mean this is so great at conveying exactly who Sid is. You know, a, a simple lumbering badass. You know, he's not a technical wunderkind. He's not a complicated character. He's just a big galoot who does really cool-looking powerbombs and chokeslams and has a, a menacing, awesome presence. And this song definitely conveys all those things. You know, the backbeat is, is basic and is lumbering and it's cool and menacing all at the same time. And the guitar has this aggression and, and the power. It feels like the song is towering over you in a way. And that's all you need to tell people about who Sid is. I can't believe you left out the Shockmaster reactions when you were talking about great Sid moments. Because <laughs> him losing his mind over the Shockmaster, that is his low-key one of my favorite parts of that whole little skit. I prefer Davy Boy Smith's iconic line, he fell flat on his ass. Yeah, no, that's also good. <laughs> yeah. Um, the inspiration for this song, by the way, uh, is China White by Scorpions.
It even has the same structure, where it starts off with the backbeat, the boom, boom, boom. Then the big guitar riff comes in, and Sid's first theme in WCW was China White, when he was part of the Skyscrapers tag team with Danny Spivey, which, again, a song like this, which sounds like it's towering over you, certainly fits with a team called the Skyscrapers. And as well, China White has been used as inspiration for a number of other wrestling themes over the years, like Sabu's theme in ECW and Bully Ray's theme in TNA. You know, that menacing backbeat really fits well for wrestling themes there, Chris. Yeah, sure. That Yeah, it's just a straight 4-4 four, four standard, like, kick on the two, or I'm sorry, kick on the one and the three, snare on the two and the four, crash symbol on the one, crash, boom, boom. Like, real simple, and you keep that nice low pedal tone. I love Hookah Blues. Hookah Blues is a really good song. Uh, Harry Slash and the Slash Tones had a couple of really great tracks for ECW. Right, right. Also, I want to bring this up. Um, Jimmy Hart and Howard Helm certainly were known for their ripoff themes, but they weren't exactly known for their creative song titles because so many WCW themes were just wrestler name and theme, and that's the title. And it's like, can, can you put a little more effort into the titles there, guys? Because just putting the wrestler name isn't that exciting, Chris. I think a lot of the logic, especially when they're doing like these kind of slapdash wrestling themes, is the arena and the reverb of the arena is going to do a lot of the lifting for us. I, like When I listen to stuff that I know was made in-house by WCW, or even to a certain extent WWF at various points, you listen to the drum production, it all kind of sounds thin. And I got to think that part of the calculus was, yeah, it sounds kind of thin and washed out and not necessarily kind of fully produced the way you would do it if you were going to listen to it on headphones. But when we pump this thing into the arena, it's going to sound fine. And, and in a lot of cases, that was the case. It wasn't until you actually heard them on a CD that you're like, wow, really? This sounds so much better in an arena. Also, when you have a roster of, like, 100 people and you need to make themes for, like, what, 60 of them at least, you can't spend too much time worrying about the song titles. You know, make the theme, call it whatever the guy's name is, and just move on. Well, they figured out that problem eventually. What you do is you just have them all join the NWOB team. Ah, there you go. Problem solved. It's time now to talk about a man who has many, many names. Ed Leslie, Brutus Beefcake, Brother Broody, The Zodiac, The Disciple, The Man With No Name, The Butcher, The Clip Master, Eddie Hogan, Dizzy Hogan. The list goes on and on and on. But for this episode, we'll call him The Booty Man, who, true to his name, loved his booty. His theme is another Jimmy Hart, Howard Helm song. This is... Big Brother Booty. Shake, shake. 
The thing about this song is that it's... It's um, an instant classic. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, It wavers back and forth between what sound it wants to emulate. Because it starts off as like a ripoff of the backing track from It Takes Two by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. And you're thinking, okay, it's going for a dancey jock jams hip hop song. And then it does like a complete switch to disco and a ripoff of Shake Your Booty by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Big brother booty, shake, 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 with the keyboard horns, and the funky bass. And then Booty Man does his rap and it goes back to hip hop and then back to disco. It's a strange dichotomy of sounds there, Chris. Oh, it's deliciously horrible. I, I, I mean, <laughs> what's amazing about uh, Brutus Beefcake is he had, as you were listing off, like 10,000 names in three moves. And I, I can't remember a single disciple or like, like, I don't remember him ever actually having a match, really. I remember he did like the, uh, he did the, the apocalypse. That was his finishing move, which was like a neck breaker, right? I think it was a stunner. It was a stun. Oh, uh, right. It was like a really slow stunner. Was that the gimmick? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and the other thing I remember about the Booty Man specifically, um, when I was a kid, and this is kind of you know, writing for adults versus writing for kids. When you're a kid, butts are funny. <laughs> At least when you know what I'm saying. When I was growing up, butts are funny. Like like butts are funny, and you know, I it, not and for any sort of like sexual reason, it's just like it's your butt. I don't know, like it's where the poop comes out of. I'm I'm not really sure what motivates it, but like. I heard the booty man and I couldn't take the dude seriously because I was like, who's obsessed with their butt? That's so weird. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a very odd song. I mean, I guess it makes sense in a way because both genres are dance oriented and the booty man did indeed love to dance and shake his booty. And the jock jam stuff, it, it does give the song a little bit more of a zip to it, you know? So, I never thought zip when I saw the booty man. Uh, I'm saying that's my theory behind it, anyway. <laughs> no, no, I, just, I love that adjective choice. Zip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's only so much modernity that you give to a character like the booty man, but they tried something at least, you know? Man, he got so much work out of being Hulk Hogan's friend. It's crazy. Oh, he got a Starcade main event world title match. Oh my Him, God. the fucking booty man. He's <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> oh, so God, lousy. But, uh, but yeah, the lyrics of the song are pretty much what you expect. Big brother booty, when I step into the ring, everybody get ready because I'm shaking my thing. Put your hands together. I'll show you the way. I'll be kissing booty where the big boys play. You gotta drop that EP, Andrew Rich. The poetic brilliance of it all, Chris. It's truly astounding. Oh man, like there no like the raps are so cringy, and I mean it makes you wonder if Jimmy Hart was the one who wrote them. And he hands it to the performer, and he's like, "This is what you're reading." And they're like, "Oh, oh man, come really? on, baby, this is great stuff. Come on, come on, on this is great." <laughs> It's a classic. I'm down with the street. But I'll say this, though. I'll say this. If you think about it, Big Brother Booty is very much the predecessor to Billy Gunn's Ass Man. You, you know you know the thing, though, about Ass Man? 
Assman is unrepentantly stupid. It, it is it is at once like it's catchy, it's memorable because like you've never heard anyone sing quite like that before or since Assman. Like, where did this singer come from? Like, why is he singing like this? Why is he talking about picking them and sticking them? Um, because he likes asses, man. Uh no, like the, the lyrics are super memorable. The riff, like that little intro or whatever to Assman, it's Again, catchy. Bam, bam. Like, you just remember all that stuff. Whereas, like, the Booty Man riff, it kind of just comes and goes. Look, all I'm saying is that Big Brother Booty walked so Ass Man could run. That's all I'm saying, Chris. Yeah, but where are those legs mounted, Andrew? To what body part? It's all the same ass. I am saying that they are two legs mounting the same ass. What the hell are you talking about? What's going on here? No, I'm doing something good here. We should let me work this out. Oh, Jesus. Oh, well. One more thing. One more thing. Uh, the Booty Man's finisher, a high knee. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. High knee. Oh, God. God. <laughs> Theme number six, and it's another tag team theme, a pretty important tag team in WCW's history. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, the Outsiders, who showed up in WCW in the spring of 96 as Outsiders. The whole idea was that they were uh, WWE stars who were invading the company, and that led to the massive NWO storyline with Hulk Hogan and a cast of thousands, and the rest is history. Uh, This theme here, it was only used one time at Bash at the Beach 96, which was where the NWO began. Uh, Hall and Nash and the mystery third man were up against Sting, Lex Luger, and Randy Savage. And Hall and Nash came out to this song, which was also the theme of the pay-per-view. It's by D. Todd Sorensen from the Nonstop Music Library. It's called Crazed. So, just in case the basic melody of the song or the title didn't tip you off, uh, this is a ripoff of the song Crazy by Seal. And instead of it having any vocals, it's an instrumental, with the lead guitar kind of guiding the way. And Chris, you asked me on a Q&A episode a little while ago uh, about what the best you know, production library ripoff theme is. Uh, my answer was this one. I think it sounds really cool. I especially love the tone of the keyboards. It's really good at having that emotional tinge to it while being laid back at the same time, which is kind of how I would describe crazy as well. So, yeah, I give this one a big thumbs up. Yeah, so I really love 
the synth, like that that escalating tension laden like synth keyboard pad line that opens up this song. Um, I was noticing when I was listening to this, especially comparing it to the other ones, when I was talking about drum production earlier, this has the thinner sounding drums. You know what I mean? Like, like and this didn't. This was not the way drums would end up sounding by the end of the decade. Everything got very, very sort of like big sounding. Um, and it kind of, it makes sense that the outsiders would want something a little bit more hefty eventually. And, you know, also this was just the theme of the pay-per-view. But I, I like this one a lot. I, I will, to answer my own question, say that I think my favorite knockoff, it's, this is a subtle one, Lex Luger's theme from WCW. It's a knockoff of Megadeth's Trust. And it doesn't sound like that initially, but but here's the trick. It's the exact same chords as Trust, only those chords are cycled through at double time. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's the exact same chord progression as Megadeth's Trust, though. Um, and I, I've always dug it. I, I like I like when it slows down. I like all the lead guitar parts and stuff. I, I, I think that that's a really cool knockoff. Yeah, and uh, as far as the outsiders using it, I know the idea of two guys like Hall and Nash using a theme based on a Seal song isn't an obvious one, but I think it's actually pretty appropriate for them. Uh, you know, Hall and Nash, their whole energy is laid-back cool dudes, both in real life and in wrestling, especially in WCW. You know, I mean, when they were in the NWO, they were the cock of the walk, nothing phases them, we rule everything, 20-minute promos, the big contracts. They were the coolest guys in wrestling for a time. And the NWO theme definitely reflected that with the swaggery Hendrix riffs. But I think this song as well has a good amount of swagger to it, and the laid-back vibes too. This isn't a big-energy, hectic song. This is, we're cool dudes, we're going to stroll in, we're going to beat up these WCW guys and take this company over. Yeah, no, I, I like you know a little bit of that insurgent vibe of we're just using the music that's there. I mean, it would have been funny for them to you know one time just use the nitro music and just completely like piss all over the nitro music as they're coming down. <laughs> you know, have, have a real laugh at it. I think the one thing that works really good with Rock House though, um, and one thing that kind of nails the NWO energy. You mentioned it, the really long promos. You need. A theme and a piece of music that doesn't do the build thing, like, you know, kind of the, the best example of the build would be like the Midnight Express theme from uh, the NWA and WCW, that one that like that builds just like uh, Georgia Marauder's Chase. Um, you need something that just kind of like stays at the same level and kind of just chills out there the whole time. And Rock House is really good like that, where it just, I mean, they could run that thing, and they, and they did run that thing over and over and over again, and it did get Get old after a while but it's really impressive how long you could play that before it got old and and the the one thing you can't do with this type of song is loop it because that build kind of creates like a cliff when you restart the chorus section you mean yeah yeah because like the real I, I sort of feel like the meat in this song is that it's a got that kind of build intro you know those the synthesizers and the keyboards kind of slide in yeah like i said i love the keyboards on this for sure and Looking at this song from an historic perspective, you know, the Wolfpack would come out to their theme, which was a hip-hop theme. Uh, Scott Hall used to come out to Ready or Not by the Fugees. Kevin Nash and TNA had a ripoff of Still Dre. So there is the history of Hall and Nash, these you know two super white guys, coming out to these hip-hop themes and R&B themes or rip-offs of those genres. And, and really, Crazed is the one that got the ball rolling there. So... 
this is actually a pretty important song in the theme histories of both guys. It's true. It's true. Uh, eventually, cultural appropriation would be mastered by Scott Steiner towards the end <laughs> of the 1990s. All right. Well, Chris, this has been all fun and games so far here, but we've reached theme number seven. And since this is a WCW episode, that means it's time to talk about seven. Now, for those of you who don't know about this, uh, Dustin Rhodes was in WCW in the early 90s as Dustin Rhodes himself. He left to join WWF in the mid-90s as Goldust. And then in 99, he rejoined WCW, but not as Dustin Rhodes. Instead, they started airing these vignettes for his new character called Seven. Now, the Seven character did not last very long, for reasons we'll get to shortly, but we did get a Seven theme. This is by Jimmy Hart and Howard Helm. It's the Seven theme. If I could sum up this song in one word, it'd be pretty easy. Spooky. You know, I did the Halloween episode a few months back with Sean Flynn, and this song could have fit right in there, because it's a very spooky song for a very spooky gimmick. And this song just has all the elements of a spooky theme song. You know, you got the sound of innocent children playing, which put a pin in that, by the way. Ethereal whooshing, Dustin Rhodes in a scary voice, Fear me, you will. Now sleep, my children. Big cymbal crashes, ominous choirs, dark industrial mood music with metallic percussion, low-range throat singing. It is like a spooky overload, Chris. Look, in the late 1990s, Andrew, we liked Nine Inch Nails and Stabbing Westward a lot. (laughs) And this movie 7 came out, and it was very cool. And you know how I was talking earlier about the dangers of being too modern? It's why you don't need a Baby Yoda White Claw gimmick in wrestling. These things don't age well. Well, you mentioned the movie Seven. This song that it's ripping off is actually from another spooky movie. Uh, The song is called Dark by Gary Newman, and it's from the soundtrack to the movie Dark City.
Uh, that's actually where Dustin got the inspiration for the Seven gimmick. Uh, because in the movie, there are these characters called the Strangers. And they're bald guys with pale skin and big black trench coats. Look up a photo of Seven, that's him. So there's an extra layer of spookiness added on top of the song with a film reference there, Chris. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, what was going on on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, too, as well. No, I, I mean, like, the production on this theme, and kind of just kick it back to the music here, I, spooky music and anything kind of industrial, it's always super well produced. It's always on the cutting edge. We were talking about craft work earlier. Anything that's industrial, techno, I mean, that is music that is being made on the cutting edge of instrumental technology and that's what's being prioritized in the compositional process and so the the kind of cash out of that is that all these themes they sound great like i i was listening to them on my akg headphones earlier like this one sounds awesome still for all of its corny weirdness you can hear every single layer of the corny weirdness um and the atmospherics and stuff are really well done but um yeah, this was not a good gimmick, uh, and I mean, we we could talk about the problems of the gimmick, and then we could talk about the even weirder deconstruction of the gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, oh boy. So um, they aired these vignettes hyping up the debut of Seven, and in the vignettes, they show Seven hovering outside a little kid's bedroom while he's sleeping, and he's doing the voiceover in the Dr. Claw voice, you know, I'll get you next time, Gadget. <laughs> and he's saying things like, Awake, my son. Come to me and live forever. And the kid goes to the window, and he puts his hand on the glass, and Seven puts his hand on the glass, and there's a, a burst of light, and the kid's eyes go black. That's it. Very spooky stuff. Unfortunately, to a lot of people, including TNT executives, they didn't look at Seven and go, Oh, wow, a cool new spooky character. They looked at him and thought, uh, this guy looks like a child abductor. We, which, is a, we don't... which is a crazy reaction. Like, that's clearly what's not going on there. Sure, but that's not what the important TV people thought. You know, they thought, okay, this is not happening on our station. So when Seven finally debuts, he does the big elaborate entrance. And it's a cool looking entrance because it's dark, there's smoke, there's fire, the music's playing. He levitates to the ring, but then <laughs> he cuts a promo and he immediately drops character and says that he hated doing the Goldust gimmick. He hates doing the Seven gimmick. It all sucks. He just wants to be Dustin Rhodes. And now he's going to make WCW and TNT management absolutely miserable. It's just a... Big old pile of worked shoot goodness, Chris. <laughs> it's Vince Russo bullshit. No, it's it's horrible. Like like it is quintessential Russo style booking where it's like your character's gonna be like you're the only real man in this company, and, and everyone's character's like oh I'm shooting brother, and yeah I I, I mean. Look, I, I think a better way of doing this gimmick, obviously, you have him take over an adult. You know what I mean? Like, some, like, weird, sad, broken man, he appears in the window and, like, breaks that guy. You know, like, and that guy ends up with the, the coal eyes. But at the same time, let's go back to these censors. These censors are so concerned about child abduction, but are greenlighting every, like, sexually foul angle involving Medusa and, you know, <laughs> puppies on television and all of that stuff. No problem about that. But we don't want to upset the kids. Like, you know, I, I, it's 
the 90s were an interesting time. Listen, it, it's perfectly okay to make fun of a man's Bell's palsy, but we have to draw the line somewhere. All right? Come on. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a good gimmick. I, I don't know how you make... This is the thing with WCW, because um, they, they were trying to do this with Glacier, too, and, and to a lesser extent, Mortis. WCW was pretty good at producing these really cool-looking entrances, and they kind of fell into a trap, especially with Glacier, where people got really into Glacier's entrance, and it sort of didn't matter for a while that the guy couldn't wrestle. Like, they were able to get that going for a minute, just on kind of like, here comes this really cool Sub-Zero type of character. Uh... I think that it was going to always be hard to make Seven interesting in the ring because, like, Dustin Rhodes, while a great wrestler, like, I don't... What was this guy going to wrestle like? You know, he was going to have to use, like, you know, the Phantom Claw and stuff like that. Yeah, there are a lot of unanswered questions when it comes to Seven, sure. I I mean, where would it have gone? Um, How big of a push would he have gotten? You know, would he have been in the main event? Would it be like Bray Wyatt, where he uses his spooky powers in the ring? There is still a lot of mystery surrounding the gimmick. That would be an interesting interview to hear. Just like whoever was behind originally formulating this, like what was, I mean, obviously, like you can only get tentative bookings. But like, what were they kind of thinking? Like, where does this seven guy end up? Is he going to feud with the NWO? Is he in the mid card somewhere? Is that really what Dustin Rhodes came back to WCW to do at that point? Mm, Questions abound. Absolutely. So it is time now for the final theme of the episode. And Chris, in the pantheon of classic WCW themes, you've got Hulk Hogan coming out to Voodoo Child. You've got DDP coming out to Self High Five. You've got Sting coming out to Metallica. But all of those pale in comparison to the true jewel in the crown, Marcus Bagwell, Scotty Riggs, the American Males. Their theme is off of WCW Christmas Brawl. It's by Jimmy Hart and J.J. McGuire. Get ready, folks. This is American Males. So this song has become a meme of sorts over the years. Uh, People have made fun of it. It's one of the lamest, worst songs of all time. And yeah, between the weird American males, American males, and the fairly tame rock and roll instrumentation, and the generic lyrics in the song, yeah, it's pretty goddamn lame. But I will contend that for the American males, that's perfect. Because 
They're supposed to be the sexy studs. Oh, look how hot we are. Ladies, come get some of this. But they're also just kind of, you know, just goobers. Like, Bagwell's got the frosted tips. Riggs has the Ankh necklace. They're dressed like Chippendales dancers with suspenders. They're not really that cool by any stretch, you know? So the fact that they've got this theme song that wants to be cool, but is betrayed by how lame it actually sounds, that actually fits the American males quite well, Chris. Oh, this is this is a very meta analysis here, Andrew Rich. I gotta take you back to the 90s, bro. These guys were cool. People <laughs> liked the American males. I, I distinctly remember this. I don't... I never really got it, but like when Bagwell broke up the males and joined the NWO and became Buff Bagwell and began that Buff Bagwell push, like it wasn't like when the Rockers broke up or whatever, and Scotty Riggs was most certainly not Marty or was not as over as Marty Jannetty was at that point. Obviously, things didn't work out, but like Riggs was not the talent that Jannetty was either. But people liked the American males in WCW's audience. Uh, the theme song is the, the exact same chords as taking care of business, Andrew Rich, modulated down a half step. And that is because it spells out B-A-B, and we go back to B, and you know what that spells? Babes. <laughs> the American males, they like babes. Babes is in the chords. That's how into babes the American males are. This is a classic song. I don't don't miss me with the drums are washed out and there's way too much synth in the guitar tone that goes on in the solo section is bizarre and like the notes are the note choice and stuff is really weird and that the synth is like given so much modulation that's got this it, it's weird. No, yeah, I don't miss me with all of that. None of those criticisms are valid at all. This is one of the greatest pieces of music that has ever been written by any American <laughs> or male. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know if I go that far, to be honest with you. But... I'm not biased by the fact that I did a cover of this. Are we, are we going to play the cover? Are we, oh, are we... uh, later. Later, okay, yeah, fine, later. later, fine, fine. All but, right. Um, yeah, this song, the, the competing vocal stylings in this one, they just sound weird together because you've got the verses, which is being sung by this, you know, classic American rock, Sammy Hagar, macho guy. When you see them coming, you better run for cover. Girls, you don't need a weekend lover. Uh, American males. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> and that makes sense. You know, again, the gimmick is that they're sexy ladies men and they're supposed to be tough as well. If they want to talk to you, you better not listen. You might wind up in critical condition. So that makes sense. But then it's overpowered by those just Devo-esque vocals. American males, American males, American males, American no, males. No, that's like the perfect way to frame the vocals. It's so Mark Mother's Bow. Like, it's, in a weird way, the American males theme is kind of like a, it's a Devo song, only done without any of the irony of a Devo song. Like, if you were going to do something off of Are We Not Men, We Are Devo, like praying hands, but just completely straight. Like, when they'd play as uh, Dove, they're like weird fake opening act. Also, the name American Males, that's like the most generic name ever, right? <laughs> I mean, this is the same company that called the big show The Giant. 
So I guess it's kind of par for the course then. <laughs> yeah, no, they were, I mean, they got the big boss man and he becomes Big Bubba and the Guardian Angel and the a whole bunch of... Yeah, the, the boss. boss as well. Yeah, right. No, I mean, they, this company was not good at names. And actually, like, the best characters that, you know, other than, like, I guess Booker T to a certain extent, and Booker T, I, not like a great name, but it, it certainly, it worked. Um, you know, the best characters were just wrestling under their own names. Other than maybe Diamond Dallas Page. Diamond Dallas Page is a pretty good name. I also want to bring up uh, the music video as well, uh, where it's in black and white. Uh, you know, Bagwell and Riggs are shirtless, posing next to buildings, throwing around the football, looking all sexy. Just a couple of guys, Just you know? hanging out. Dude, it's like what I do with my bros. We hang out and we take off our shirt and we just bro it out. Like Just what? a couple of bros acting sexy as you do, you know? Who's to say that's so wrong, Chris? No, there's and there's no drinking, there's no smoking. We're just hanging out. We're taking off our shirt and we're hanging out. <laughs> it's so awesome. Like I, I like uh, I like that. I like uh, the Thrill Seekers video from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Ever seen this? Lance Storm and Chris Jericho basically being the American males. Like this is a better produced and more lame. Ver- oh, I don't know that Thrill Seekers. What's like deliciously lame? But I, I, this was what people thought was cool before Alternative showed up. This was like late 80s rocker dude cool. Yeah, once the uh, grunge and and alt-metal guys came around, there was a big shift. Yeah, you actually look at Jericho. Look at the way Jericho sort of arcs from being something more like an American male type of character to the edge that he has by 1998, where he's bringing out Ralphus and, you know, he's sneering at everyone. I mean, that that's a really good, good kind of arc of the energy. Jericho's always been pretty good at sticking with the times. Absolutely, yeah. Um, now, Chris, do you want to talk about your little parody you made of the American Males theme? Absolutely. So uh, my friend Joe Drilling has a podcast called What a Maneuver that took a extended look at the Monday Night Wars. And I went on the show like a while back and we talked about the American Males. This would be like, when I say a while back, I mean like seven, eight years ago. We talked about the American Males and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that theme song and like just dug it up. And I did... I, this is all me. I did all of this. Um, like I even did the drums. I actually had an electronic set of drum pads that I, I played it out. Um, so that's actually me doing all those drum fills and the lead guitar. Um, this is from the era, Andrew, of my lead guitar playing that I referenced on Shake Them Ropes, where I was trying to convince the world that I was very good at lead guitar, so I needed to have the solos be very long. Um, so they would always be like four to eight measures longer than they ought to have been. And there's also a lot of phaser. Because phaser is very cool, especially when you um, do a certain side activity when producing themes. Um, so with that, you want to <coughs> yes. play, hey, you know what? Chronic. Why did we not? We didn't get, why is Chronic not on this list here? Volume like, two, Chris. Come on now. All right. I, I will be back. We, we, must, we must discuss Chronic and how criminally long it was before I realized that that was a marijuana-related gimmick. Um, a different story for a different show. But yeah, uh, without further ado, here's my tribute to the American Males. Because if you get a chance to sing the four-part harmony of the American Males, you just have to do it at least once.
All right, well, that was our first look into the WCW grab bag. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the great thing about WCW is that they have about, oh, I don't know, 6,000 more themes to choose from. So uh, there will be a volume two because what kind of podcaster would I be, Chris, if I didn't talk about the Sean Stasiak theme? I mean, you know, I, like you haven't talked about it yet. I think you're pretty good, but but you'll, you'll be better when you do. I mean, yeah. I, that wasn't the right answer. I should, I should have been more punchy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying, do it now! Do it now! I didn't forget about it. All right? It, it's coming, Volume 2, in the future. Don't worry. But um, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening. And Chris, thank you again for being back on the show here. This was a lot of fun. Don't worry.tv, folks. Any other plugs you want to give? Oh, um, you can catch me on Shake Them Ropes as well. And you can find me at Chris Novembrino. And Music of the Mat is also part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, just like Shake Them Ropes. You can find all of the great podcasts on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. Go to the VOW Discord to discuss Music of the Mat, Shake Them Ropes, and other topics voicesofwrestling.com slash discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that. Just go to voicesofwrestling.com slash donate and click on the big donate button underneath the name Music of the Mat. If you do donate, hey, thanks a million. You're awesome. And finally, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Chris, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Thank you. All right, for Chris Novembrino, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. A man decides after 70 years that what he goes there for is to unlock the door. Well, those around him criticize and sleep. Fractal on a breaking wall I see you my friend And touch your face again Miracles will happen as we dream But we're never gonna survive Unless we get a little crazy No, we're never gonna survive Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.